This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. talk about beer that we're drinking you know what really burns my butt yeah tell me this is our new segment about what really burns my butt when you buy one of those beer like 12 packs like the multi-packs but one of the of the varieties in it is like a low calorie ipa why are those taking over all the beer multi-packs it really burns my butt because they don't one the alcohol in them is like not enough (laughs) Uh uh-huh two they do taste bad. They do and three, functionally taste bad. They still have bad. like 100 calories in them, which is still kind of a lot compared to like a Diet Coke or something. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the beers you've been meaning to chug. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew, and this has been what burn, what really burns my butt. I low-calorie IPAs. God bless them for trying, but <laughs> no thanks. I know there are people out there who don't like the bitterness of an IPA. They don't enjoy it. It's fine. But like these are actual bad ones. Like the IPAs you don't like because you don't like IPAs, they're good beers. I'm sorry. They're still good. There are IPAs for people who like IPAs and maybe you are not. That's not you and that's fine. But uh, no, these are just bad IPAs. And the side benefit of the IPA is that they're all like seven or eight percent alcohol. (laughs) And so they're just really good for coronavirus or podcasting. But uh, (laughs) the low calorie ones don't do it. They don't do it for me. It's not as bad as that Lagunitas one that's just like a non-alcoholic hop drink Yo. that they made, which I haven't tried, but I feel like I'm going to just to see what it's like. Their, their strange hop water that they made. I don't like the phrase hop water. <laughs> Ew. Dirty. Does that burn your butt, it, would you say? It does burn my butt, and that concludes <laughs> this week's burn my butt. Both of our butts are burned. Now what happens? We talk about books. Every week, one of us reads a book and tells the other one about it. Um, Maybe next time we'll still talk about what's burning our butts. I read Deacon King Kong by James McBride. It is actually a relatively new release, but when I was looking at McBride's resume, I was kind of ashamed that we had talked about him already. (laughs) seems like maybe someone who should have been on our podcast by now. And this book was on like a list of like contemporary black authors that you should check out. And we were like, we need to program some more of those. And this was one that looked interesting to me. So I picked it. Do you know who else recommended this book recently? Who? Oprah. Whoa! <laughs> and you get a burnt butt and you get a burnt butt. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, James McBride's also written a bunch of other stuff. The stuff that he is probably known best for um, is a 1995 book called The Color of Water. A Black Man's Tribute to His White Mother, which you could probably guess is about uh, James McBride's uh, white Jewish converted to Christianity mother. Okay. And then uh, in 2013, he won the National Book Award for The Good Lord Bird, which I assume is about Larry Bird. But it, it, Well, it is definitely about Larry Bird. <laughs> his career in basketball. It is. Oh, 
is also definitely about who John Brown, the abolitionist, and his adventures with oh, Larry Bird. Well, see, sometimes you make a goof and it's still it's fine. Yeah, it's, I'm still proud of you for making the goof. Um, I like to think of I like to think of an old like 1998 hardback book called The Good Lord Bird about just like the moment in time where Larry Bird was a person. <laughs> It, the only moment was 1998. Mm. Uh, McBride, born in 1957, New York City, Concrete Jungle, where dreams are made of. He, New York City. He attended uh, Oberlin. Ew. Boo. Boo. <laughs> uh, I tried to find a good article about the Oberlin Kenyan rivalry, and honestly, there weren't any. It's a bad rivalry, but uh, it's fine. Um, the only people who care about it went probably just people who went to Kenyan, I guess, care about it. And we all know we they know what they did. We don't have to explain ourselves. <laughs> uh, McBride also got a master's from Columbia. I have no feelings about that. Um, and like you said, you know, burst on the scene in 95 has had um, uh, his novel Miracle of St. Anna was adapted into a movie by Spike Lee. He is having another book of his. I don't remember which one. I thought I made a note. Um, oh, The Good Lord Bird is going to be made into a Showtime series. Oh. Um, and in 2016, uh, President Barack Hussein Obama gave him the National Humanities Medal mm-hmm. uh, for his work. He won. Did you say he won the the National Book Award? Yeah, in 2013 for Good Lord Bird. Yeah. Is that why you thought Larry Bird was involved? Because it's the NBA. What? No. The National well, Book Award? That, that would be funny, though. I just read National Book Award. <laughs> I don't think NBA stands for National Book Award. <laughs> you should have said that joke a minute ago. You're being, you're being, I was making a joke, but you're being silly. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, McBride also has performed as a saxophonist with the Rock Bottom Remainders who you may recall, Andrew, we talked about with our Joy Luck Club episode, because Amy Tan... I do recall, yeah. It's a bunch of uh, amateur musicians who are, like, writers by trade, and as of 2012, they are mostly defunct, I think. Like, one of their founding members passed away, and then they stopped. That's a shame. Um, the, the band's Wikipedia page has, like, three quotes about the band from Dave Barry, which... Yeah! That's <laughs> a lot of Dave Barry quotes. Um... Yeah, I don't have a ton else. Like usually the person who didn't read the book does the author part, but you kind of stole all my thunder, so thanks. I hope that it's good thunder and that it serves you well. Um, I, I can also say he was raised in the Red Hook Housing Project in Brooklyn. Um, this is this was like low-income housing born of the need to house people affected by the Great Depression in the late 1930s. Um, and it was originally built to house Red Hook's many dock workers, but obviously it's, you know, as as neighborhoods have changed, the people who live there change as well. Um, the, the only thing I could find about Red Hook, like the housing project, mostly it begins and ends with this is a housing project in Brooklyn. Um, but Al Capone got a start in Red Hook. Hmm. So that's a fun little fun fact. That is fun. Cons- that is fun. <laughs> but I bring I bring them up because like the Color of Water as a nonfiction book was you had a lot to do with that but then this 
uh, Deacon King Kong takes place in a housing project. That I, what, what's it called? What's the name of that um, project the, in the book? The Cause Houses, uh, which are yeah, adjacent. but it's a it's a thought to be a thinly veiled version of the of the Red Hook housing project. And it, it feels like a place that the author may have lived in the sense that I think I told you before we were recording that like it's not a it's not a thinly veiled autobiography. It's nothing like that. It is just very clearly informed by the living time spent in the type of community he is writing about. Yeah, um, right, right, right. The, the types of characters, the way that they are connected. Um, I think I was reading one review that said McBride has, has instead of saying it's a book about a housing project, he said it's a book about a church. And the main community of the causes is the Five Ends Baptist Church. Uh, I, I hadn't read that until after I read the novel. And it kind of like retroactively, you know, puts some character relationships into perspective. And it also has something to do with like, there's an overarching serendipity or like the phrase positive contrivance isn't a phrase, but if a book <laughs> wanted to fe- like wanted things to feel contrived on purpose or wanted things, everything to feel like it had a purpose or was connected that's what I mean. Yeah, I do. I know what you mean. Usually when you say something is contrived in fiction, you are, you are bagging on it a little bit. Yeah. You're, you're saying is, that it feels, it feels manufactured in a way that takes you out of the experience. Yeah. Which is an inherent tension of all fiction, right? Because like it, someone man, literally manufactured it first in their brain and then on a page and then some robot printed it and I bought it in a store or an e-store. Right, mm-hmm. it's all manufactured. It's not real. It's fiction. So yeah, it's all pretend. It's all contrived, baby. It's just jazz. But there are but the, there are things that feel real and feel true, and then there are things that feel contrived and manipulative or like clumsy. Yes, and, yes. Yeah. And this is a book uh, that is definitely things. If they don't quite happen for a reason, they all like resonate and are connected on purpose. Um, Seinfeld episode <laughs> you know <laughs> it's not not that um, and the last th- thing that I found I don't know if you saw this Andrew on one of his biographies or one of his bios uh, McBride listed that he has won awards for songwriting as well as a composer um, yeah he plays a saxophone right yes and he's he's written music for some for some stage productions and stuff he also wrote some music for Barney the purple dinosaur. Yeah, it doesn't. It, none of his bio said which one. So now everyone should just go watch I Barney. Cur- yeah, which Barney tracks did did James McBride write? Is, did he know. write "I Love You, You Love Me" like the the big one? That, or was it some some dumb thing about like Baby Bop's blanket or something? We have nothing else to go on, so it has to be uh, that one. To be perfectly baby, honest, Baby Bop. You're okay. Take you tell me if you find anything. No, Baby Bop did have a blanket. Huh. There is a song called My Yellow Blankie, but that is a Baby Bop. Bop. <laughs> Andrew, what do you know about the year 1969? Uh, I know it's nice. Yeah. I know that uh, it's the last year of the 60s. Yep. I know that if you're talking about American cities, you were talking about uh, civil unrest. Yep. Uh, what else? So this book takes place in the summer of 1969, uh, and it is it is referencing 
real history uh, obliquely and sometimes not not as obliquely a lot. Um, so I kind of just want to like list a couple things that happened, like the moon landing, right? Right. Yes. Um, I don't. Uh, the last season of Mad Men takes place in 1969. Yes, of course. I um, I don't think he references the Beatles at all, but like that's when Abbey the Abbey Road concert happened. There's like you know like rock and roll is changing. The Abbey Road concert. I'm gonna let that one slide. But Isn't that what it is? Don't they? Let it be. Was the concert? Oh, the rooftop thing. But the what? Yeah. Okay. Fine. Uh, the mm-hmm. New York Mets, our team, our time. We're in their eighth season. <laughs> uh, they won the championship that year. There's a lot of there's baseball in this book, and so they're the team is talking like this. The town, excuse me, is talking about like the fact that the Mets, who are new, are good now or something. Um, there's a march on Washington protesting Vietnam, the the Vietnam War. Um, Not to be confused with the '63. 63- March on Washington. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Um, yeah, that, that place gets marched on a lot. I just, <laughs> just want to really make does. sure. Um, yeah. The Manson murders took place. Woodstock takes place. Uh, Nixon assumes the presidency. And this book is like really concerned with this year, or, or it kind of takes as fact that like a lot of ground is shuffling under people's feet. Stuff is not as yeah. it was. Right. We don't know what the future holds. But we don't, and we don't know if it's good. So we got to figure out how to make it through. Yeah, it's like the the um, the sort of hippie promise of the summer of love has like given way to unrest. This this period is where a lot of uh, white flight from the cities starts to happen, which in turn affects yep. like the next the next several decades of American uh, urban life and politics. Yeah, it just is a lot. There's a lot lot going on. And the overall tone of this book is a mix of like, like irreverence and wit and fun with a little bit of heart. Like, you know, we we want to we want to care about our main characters. Most of the main characters are like a rough person with a heart of gold. Right. Okay. Um, that's fine that's a good that's a good archetype yeah and then underneath that there is like a lot of like not so veiled anger at like broader societal failings and and systemic problems that yeah, so here's some stuff yeah. from a new yorker review that oh I yeah read about the about the book that kind of sums up these the sort of not warring tones, but like the two tonal things it's doing. Uh, this is a re- review by uh, Jonathan D from February of uh, this year. Uh, he says, uh, reading it is like watching a movie in which one's occasional impulse to ask questions is pleasantly swamped by the need to keep up with the pace of events. So just talking about how quickly it moves from thing to thing and, and like device to device. Uh, but then uh, he says there is, though, another sound in Deacon King Kong, an undertone to all the humor and serendipity. A consciously suppressed anger emerges only rarely, but often enough to make you feel uh, to make you read the comedy differently. It's as if any sentence in the book would, if allowed to flow all the way to its digressive end, empty into the pool of injustices that put these characters in the cause houses to begin with. Yeah. Mc- yeah. McBride is not here to like set up a bunch of like villains that have caused society's ills and then knock them down. 
he's here to show a bunch of people like slowly coming together over over those ills and like but still have them remind the reader that those ills are still there yeah um, right so when he introduces our main character uh whose name is Sportcoat or well his his real name is Cuffy Lampkin but everyone calls him Sportcoat Cuffy Lampkin Cuffy Lampkin <laughs> Um, he is a deacon of the Five Ends Baptist Church. A lot of people ask what a deacon is in this book, and it's mostly like whatever the church needs. He doesn't; he's not like in charge. Um, yeah, so that's I read that about this book is that it was kind of a runner to not know what a deacon did or how yeah. one becomes a deacon. <laughs> um, I looked it up, and that's you know that's basically the answer is just kind of this just kind of catch all whatever. My um, grandpa was a deacon. Oh yeah, in the Baptist church that I grew up in, and he collected uh, offerings. Uh, he distributed communion stuff, strictly non-alcoholic communion stuff. It was a Baptist, a Northern Baptist sure, <laughs> church sure. in a very white, very buttoned-down, repressed sort of area of rural exurban ohio uh but he also drove the bus to pick up kids hey you know so just you know i'm a deacon and i'm here to help yes that that is cuffy's deal while uh, biblically and historically um they just sort of are assistants who perf also perform charitable work in and in catholicism they're one of the major orders so like the big you know subsections of of people including like priests and, and bishops and and subdeacons which i guess are the mini bosses who you need to beat to get to the regular deacons. yeah yeah and then you uh, but yeah they just they assist priests and bishops like nobody's very specific about what a deacon do because i think it varies based on what the individual churches need yes. as organizations and so. most of the people who are wondering what a deacon does in this book are not members of the community it's usually the white characters in this book uh the majority of whom if i recall are irish and italian um there's like m the irish is mostly represented by the cops there's italian mafia um wow yeah you know um, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the two gender yes <laughs> Uh, and there's, you know, the people who live in the cause houses, which are a mix of, uh, black Latino, um, some folk like African American, but like folks also from Haiti and folks in Puerto Rico, like specifically like one woman is like the head of the Puerto Rican statehood society in the cause houses, which doesn't elaborate on how many members that is, but, um, the, the fervent belief in it is there. Um, and yeah, it's, it's an interesting mix of people, but the, the folks on the outside are the ones who are always going like, what does a deacon actually do as they are trying to hunt sport coat down over the course of this book? Um, why would you want to hunt sport coat down? So what did Cuffy Lumpkins do? Here's the first <laughs> Cuffy Lampkin. <laughs> Sorry, Cuffy Lampkin. Um, the first sentence of the book, Deacon Cuffy Lampkin of Five Ends Baptist Church became a walking dead man on a cloudy September afternoon in 1969. And it goes on to say that he kind of drunkenly walked into the like central square by the flagpole of the cause houses and shot a kid uh, named Deems in the head. And... Uh, he didn't kill him. He just shot him in the ear very badly. And 
Sporko doesn't even really know why he did it. He, for most of the book, he doesn't even really remember doing it. Right, and he won't like take responsibility for it. Was my understanding? Yeah, because, because he didn't be- he didn't believe that he did it. <laughs> yeah, he spends most of the book incredibly sauced. He has a big problem with booze. I read. Yeah, there there was a one of the reviews I read. I don't remember which one quoted a, a line from the book that said Sportco is the kind of drunk that dies at age 20 and is buried at age 80 which woof that's yeah rough. yeah it, but, but i mean i know exactly what yes. that line means but man it's rough well and so the uh mcbride will drop a line like that and then he'll also spend a page and a half playing up sport coats like indestructibility as sort of like a goofy biography where he's like well lupus had a go at it but wasn't successful and a mule kicked him in the head, but he he got right back up. Um, and then in the middle of that is where you'll get one of those like underbelly of anger moments. So this was a, a passage I highlighted um, after sport coat uh, in his like 30s or 40s. He's 71, I think, in, in the events of this book. Um, he sawed his left thumb off. The delighted medical students at... The delighted medical students at the university sewed it back on with 74 stitches, chipped in, and bought him a used chainsaw as a gift, which he used to cut off his right big toe. They reattached that with 37 stitches, and as a result, two of the students won major medical internships at hospitals in the Northeast, and they sent him enough money to buy a second mule and a hunting knife, which he used to slice into his aorta by accident while skinning a rabbit. So you get the, like, the comic... Looney Tunes violence of a man who's just injury prone and how is he still alive? And like right in the middle there, it's like, yeah, here's some medical students that totally benefited off of this wild guy and then are never heard from again. Right. Yeah. And they're not named character. And so like, that's a thing that McBride does a lot is like, he will reference benefactors of, you know, structural inequality and racism but he won't usually name them because the folks in the story are often not those people. They're, um, yeah, they're not like characters. They're more like forces or types. Yeah, I guess. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Sportcoat and what he's done to Deems is like the focus that kicks off the book. And you get this really interesting like dramatist personae chapter at the beginning where no one really knows what happened or why he did it. So for a few paragraphs, we get like one by one introduced to all the characters and what they think happened. So I'm just going to like read a list that I have here. Sister Veronica G, who's the president of the Ten- Tenant Association and wife of the Five Ends Baptist Minister. There's Sister Bum Bum, who's the head usher. There's Miss Easy Cordero, who's the VP of the Puerto Rican Statehood Society. There's Hot Sausage, who's the janitor. And uh, Sport Coat's best friend. We'll talk more about him later. There's Dominique Lafleur, the Haitian cooking sensation. We start to learn about the main uh, mafia character that we come to know, Tommy Elefanti, whose nickname is The Elephant. Of course it is. Uh, who has taken over his late father's business of shipping and transportation that he runs out of an old railroad boxcar that just sits like two blocks from the cause houses. Uh, there's sister Paul who's 102 years old Uh, we get her backstory a lot later Uh, she lives in a nearby like old folks home and is also wrapped up in sport coats late wife's 
backstory. There's Sister Bib, the organist. There's Rufus, who is who makes a white lightning like moonshine called King Kong, which is where the name Deacon King Kong comes from. Um, there is Cuffy's uh, son, Pudgy Fingers. Like, there's just a lot of. Now, is that his real name? No, that's his dad's name is Cuffy. So I feel like Pudgy Fingers might. There's you'll you find out later in the story of where name. Pudgy Fingers came from, and why we probably don't know his real name. It is just okay. what everybody calls him. Everybody takes care of him. These are good names, though. Yeah, there's a lot of amazing if, if, names. If you are gonna name twenty people in three pages, <laughs> at least you can give them all awesome names like so, these. And one of the things that I really like it it starts to become apparent over the course of the book is like, wow, these are some wild names, and everybody's like, some people have multiple names. In particular, Cuffy, who goes by Sport Code, and uh, some people call him Cuffy. Uh, some people call him Deacon or call him Deacon King Kong. And then when the cops are start trying to figure out who he is, like people are like, yeah, I'm looking for a guy named like Suit Jacket or something. Jacket. Or like, I heard there's this guy who lives here named Thelonious Stills. Like, who's that? Um, and this, like, the lack of a precise identity that a name that can like really pin people down uh, is a big theme throughout the book. And there's a lot of like little plot points that turn on the fact that Deacon and Hot Sausage share a driver's license that I think has one of their names on it and the other's picture because one of them didn't have time to like needed to send the other one down to the DMV to get the license for him. And they're like, you know what? The white people at the DMV won't care. They won't be able to tell us apart. We're just, I'm just going to get this driver's license. And there that like factors into how the cops try to get to the bottom of this and and it allows them to escape capture at certain points and creates tension but it's a, it's a recurring theme among other characters where you start learning about remember from the wire andrew brother mazone the guy who shows uh, up in like season 3 or 4 who comes in yeah. and is like the assassin yeah, yeah he's like the the um the uh, snappy dresser assassin character, yes, right? Yes. yes. There's a character who we hear about for like a third of the book called Harold Dean, who's going to come in and be this hotshot assassin and take care of things. And that name obscures a fact about that assassin that like prevents people from realizing they're already here. Um, so there's just a lot of shifting identity stuff that... I I'm, I don't know exactly what McBride is up to. It creates a sense of like people using names for their own advantage, um, which is a way to like control your own identity in a system that offers you a little control over other things, mm -hmm. I suppose. Sure. Um, so the, the main plot for sport coat is that he is trying to figure out or Deacon, it's it, interchangeably um cuffy lance should we just settle on sport coat, sport coat unless yeah, it's a yeah. that'd be helpful unless it's important that it be something else <laughs> sure uh okay. sport coat is a trying to figure out why he tried to kill deems and he's also uh trying to figure out what happened to a box full of like christmas collection money that the church put together that his wife was in charge of maintaining 
and she passed away two years ago and now all he does is talk to her ghost and she won't tell him where it is now maybe it's her ghost maybe he's just drunk and is hallucinating what's the difference (laughs) in the in the way the book functions it's kind of what what's the difference because he does have an arc of interaction with her Mm -hmm. where he like learns about you know how they're marriage went awry and things like that um but he's kind of looking for an almost like it's an it's a wonderful lifestyle like yo we need that money or else people are it's gonna be a bad time because everybody has been putting in money one of the few things they can do is save up and like buy their kids presents at christmas because everything else is terrible right and there's thousands of dollars that is just gone um so that's his like two main like goals while trying to avoid being killed and being taken by the police um the other main plot line concerns the elephant tommy elefanti um mm-hmm. when you and that's i think why i laughed when you brought up al capone because i didn't know that he came from red hook and it, yeah, i'm not sure that he like made his i don't know that he made his name in red hook but he started doing crimes and yeah hook. that's just like, an, that's where he that's where he got his first taste of of the crime life you know as they call it <laughs> sure that's what they call it you you know mm-hmm. um when you lead a life of crime it's just an interesting coincidence given how central uh the elephant is to the story and he's like an interesting guy he is a he is a mobster with a heart of gold tell me if you've ever heard of that one before um i mean i've mm. <laughs> <laughs> I I know of mobsters who sure do think they have hearts of gold. Yes, sure. But from a, like a dispassionate like audience or narrator perspective, we are we are meant to understand that that is just a facade. <laughs> I can't is this hmm I think I know what you're referencing. Um the the thing about the elephant is like he's trying to carry on his dad's business um, his dad, Guido Elefante, who was like, I think everybody says like he only ever spoke like six words at a time and only spoke four times a day, like a really kind of like quiet, stoic guy. And he died when the elephant was pretty young, but old enough to take over the business after spending a bunch of time in jail while his son was alive. And he doesn't want to go the way that the that the higher ups at the mafia want to go, which is moving into like bankrolling the sale of heroin up and down the East coast. And that is like alongside the, uh, the oppressive nature of just the housing projects and the way that they have been completely left to rot by Uh New York city. Um, the other like background, malignant force is people who are taking advantage of people who are down on their luck by getting them into either selling heroin or you know using and so when cuffy shoots deems in the square that's deems is like turf in a you know for me uh, having watched the wire um uh, not to say that that is unique that me, a person who watched The Wire, just it is like a reference point for 
the types of environments that they are in and the types of like crews that people are running sure. in, I suppose. Well, and, and like many, many people who've watched The Wire, you feel a, a need to just make sure people know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, hey, whoa. Have I ever referenced The Wire on this show? <laughs> um, but just that, like, that's where Deems operates. And Deems used to be this like baseball star, uh, like high school, you know was probably going to go play amazing college ball was being coached by sport coat. And then his brother got into selling drugs and then Deems got his whole crew into selling drugs. And there's like a really sad scene describing like the way that Deems was like getting recruited to really good college ball and then just like didn't show up for practice and then just stopped answering his coach's calls Mm -hmm. in a way that's just like, Hmm, it's not that he was like, oh, man, this is an awesome thing to do instead of this, like, preternatural talent I have. It is just, like, it's easier not to do the thing that is, like, not right in front of me. Um, and they're just kind of, like, the way that that snowballs and takes this character away from what the book and what other people around him are saying is so good about him. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what's so maddening about sport coat is like everyone's like, why did you shoot this kid in the head? And he's like, he's a great ball player. He's the best ball player we ever had in the cause houses. He could have been somebody. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, yeah. So why did you shoot? Him? And he's like, I don't really know. I was drunk and <laughs> man, I got I'm in trouble, huh? Um, and so that that the 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 heroin and the way that that is going to change organized crime in the city is what is driving Tommy Elefante to like change his deal. He wants uh-huh. to move out to the country. He's like in his, I think he's 40 or in his early forties. He's feeling lonely. He's feeling like his life is not amounting to anything. He's not like trying to climb the mob ladder. He actually wants, if you ever heard of this before, Andrew, he wants to get out. <laughs> he wants he wants to get out, huh? He wants to that- retire. I mean, I hear people who try to get out, get pulled back in. There's a, that, yeah. Yeah, that's usually that's I hear about how that. that goes. And so Sometimes he, you even think that you're out and then they pull you back in. That's really how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, like, a, a guy that he works with, Sonny, who's like, you know, a, a, a step up on the, in the pecking order from. You mean the mob ladder? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, he's, you know, he really wants the elephant's help, like running this like big operation that's going to bring in a bunch of, you know, new drugs and the elephant doesn't really want to do it. But the fact that a dealer got shot in the cause houses is now sending a ripple through the power structure and this other drug dealer bunch, um, and his sidekick Earl, uh, they're pretty fun. They're like the closest to bad guys in the book. Like they both get theirs in a way that is meant to be like sort of like justice. And they are trying to move on Deems and or Sport Coat because it's going to allow them to like take control of that turf and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Harold Dean character gets summoned by them um sport coat almost gets killed a couple of times by bunch's man earl who like 
Looney Tunes esque gets electrocuted at one point by like pure <laughs> happenstance. Can you like see his bones inside his body? Yeah, like the they're in, and again, this is like one of the things that the book does really well. You're in this scene where sport coat and hot sausage are in like the Boy, generator room. Names. I just got. <laughs> These are some names. Okay, uh-huh. go ahead. Uh, this is like probably halfway through the book. There's a hit out on Sport Coat at this point. The cops are still uh-huh. trying to figure out who Sport Coat even is. And Hot Sausage keeps trying to convince Sport Coat to leave town. And one of the generators is going bad. And uh, the, the power is starting to fail. So Hot Sausage is trying to fix it. And like he's ruminating on the fact that like they built this technology like, you know, 50 years ago. Nobody's ever updated it. There's not enough power to to give everybody the things that they need in these units. Like people depend on their microwaves to work so that they can eat. And too many people are running through the same circuits and stuff like that. And while this is going on, the lights go out. Sportcoat's like, hey, did you see a guy over there? I think there's a person in the room. And he plugs a wire back in and a loose wire was like, you know, Earl was standing on it or something. And so you'd literally see him like lifted into the air by the force of the electricity and his hair is all burned and his like jackets on fire. Um, you might, I don't think you see his bones like bug zapper style, but it is pretty close. <laughs> I am trying to think of a way that in a book you could even describe like the Looney Tunes, like electrocuted skeleton thing without just going full on into it's close though like ready player one like <laughs> reference parody and then he was electrocuted like bugs bunny and then he was electrocuted and you could and he flashed yellow and black and you could see his bones through his skin like in like a bugs bunny yes um and so that like sport coat narrowly survives multiple attempts on his life uh on the lives of people around him which ultimately winds up with he and the elephant's paths crossing um the elephant's overall arc as i was alluding to earlier is like how does he get out of this system while still honoring the good work that he believes his father did they're both you know they've both done bad things they're in the mafia and they will cop to it but Mm. they you know they were trying to make an okay world to live in and um this weird old irishman named the governor that's not his real name he's not a governor but that's what he calls himself uh he People shows just have the names they have in this book and <laughs> uh-huh. you just have to deal uh, with it he shows up early to talk to the elephant and is like hey i knew your dad in jail and i need you to help me find uh like a treasure that he had and I need to sell it to a man in Europe so that I can get out of the game also. Um, And it's like, there are a couple of different MacGuffins moving at all times in this book. And you, you might be thinking, is there really a treasure that he's on? Yes, there is a treasure that's in a wall that they have to find at some point. It is, this is a real thing. It is called the Venus of Willendorf, Andrew. Yeah. Just Google that real quick while I tell you. No, isn't that the um the like the little squat lady statue? Yeah, it is. I'd never heard of it before. It really? is like that's a, pretty famous. It's like a thirty thousand year old figurine carved out of limestone. Yeah. Um and And it's a I 
I'm trying to remember what the context of this was. I think it was in an art history class. Okay. Once where somebody was talking about how this is like interpreted to be some kind of like fertility idol. Yes. By a lot of people. But this, the professor in this class was like, what if it was just porn? What if this is just how they did porn back then? <laughs> the governor just keeps referring to it as a fat lady. Like he's like, I have this priceless fat lady in a box somewhere and I need you to help me find her. I mean, she thick truth. Truth. Piece of Willendorf got cakes. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is the oldest like 3D object in recorded history. I think one of something like that, like purposely sculpted object um, yeah, that we have. Thirty, the year thirty thousand BCE is is the oldest estimated. That's wild. Thirty thousand, and you might be like, "Why is this in the book?" Because it's kind of like. It is a fetch quest, really. Um, what it serves to do is it it connects all of the backstories of not only the characters that are in the present of the book, but their predecessors, specifically the elephant's dad um, and this woman named Sister Paul, who I mentioned earlier, who's like 102 years old and is part of the original generation of uh the five Zen church who like migrated up from the South, you know, during the great migration in the beginning of the 20th century. And so they have this whole like interlocking backstory that you can see coming like chapters away. It just, the details are fuzzy and you don't know how it's going to shake out. Um, there's even like really kind of, it's not even clues. It's just like the motto of the church is also a thing that the elephant's dad said to this Irish guy. And you're like, well, that's going to be important later. Mm -hmm. I can't wait until they figure that one out. And you can't wait. Cause it's a good, it's a fun book and you want to know how it happens. Um, but it, it resolves in a way that like all of these individuals who as portrayed in the book, I mean, McBride is interested in how these, particularly like the Irish and Italian folks who preceded um, the non-white folks living in the projects, uh, like how they are all pushed around by the system and how they all exist as individuals and yet form community. And so there's like behind every interaction in this book, there is like a hit, a secret history of like, well, if you only knew that those people have been present at the same unlikely event, now you would understand why these communities should get along. Mm -hmm. um, and it, so it presents this really like serendipitous world where everything happens for a reason. Um, you know, McBride has an opening, I think like an opening uh, like dedication uh, to, and a, a closing statement or something that both invoke God. And I think, you know, he has said it's about a church. It's not, you know, just about this housing project. I think there is a sense that what is good in this world is ordained or is happening by providence. But it, that also allows him to use the same framework to say, like, none of the poverty that these people exist in and none of the harm that they suffer is accidental either. Like, uh -huh. it is caused or it is allowed to happen so 
one of the things that happens structurally in this, and I don't know if think while I'm reading this passage, Andrew, think if there's other stories that um, remind you of this type of device where like he will introduce either a side character or like a side story to reveal something else about the world. And like a chapter will just start and it's about the ants that crawl in every year and they head for the boiler room where every month there's a mysterious shipment of cheese <laughs> and hot sausage has to hand out all the cheese. But for a few pages, McBride is just going to tell you about where these ants came from. And I mean, before you even start reading, I'm just going to say infinite. Jess. Yeah, it does feel a little like that. It does feel like that. I, there are, trying to think of other books i didn't want to just say infinite jest because now i'm the person who said the i watched the wire and i read infinite jest on the same podcast yeah boy i feel like there's got to be a third thing in there to like complete some kind of a hat trick but i'm not sure what it is hmm. i think maybe you like watch the tree of life or something <laughs> it's like some like pretentious white guy trifecta oh no <laughs> let me read this fun ants passage though and it's it's okay. a, again it's a is mix. it like ant, like ants with a z it is well you tell me um okay. and there the ants stayed a sole phenomenon in the republic of brooklyn where cats hollered like people dogs ate their own feces aunties chain smoked and died at age 102 a kid named spike lee saw god the ghosts of the departed dodgers soaked up all possibility of new hope and penniless desperation ruled the life of the suckers too black or too poor to leave. While in Manhattan, the buses ran on time. The lights never went out. The death of a single white child in a traffic accident was a page one story. While phony versions of black and Latino life ruled the Broadway roost, making white writers rich. And on it went the whole business of the white man's reality lumping together like a giant lopsided snowball, the great American myth, the big apple, the big kahuna, the city that never sleeps, while the blacks and Latinos who cleaned the apartments and dragged out the trash and made the music and filled the jails with sorrow slept the sleep of the invisible and functioned as local color. Yo, that that's about ants. It started and then it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it is about how society views and values people in it huh isn't it yeah he's pretty skilled at what he's doing <laughs> uh that's what i have to say about that um that's a good observation what that he's skilled yeah yeah you know what nice. i mean um <laughs> oh God, i guess the one thing sure. i haven't really talked about that much is the cops in this book which is i was is there any anything from reviews that pinged your ear about that? Because that was something as I was prepping to read this book, I was like, huh, there are some I, I read some blurbs that were like, yeah, and everybody's kind of got a good heart in this book. And that's an interesting thing to deal with. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I read that um, the there was kind of an underlying positivity to a lot of the a lot of the characters that's that is running alongside like the undercurrents of anger that we are with, yeah that we've been with that we've been talking about but like people are sort of people are uncomplicated i guess in their motives or 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 they're like you know do you know what i'm saying like i good people people are messy but, uh -huh. but people are generally good seems right. to be sure at least the people we meet now again I, i've kind of alluded to the fact that he doesn't name a lot of the people that the world of the novel says are like yeah those people suck <laughs> um, he doesn't give them names they don't deserve them i suppose 
Um, but like the Irish cop Potts, who at the beginning of the book, like gets transferred and then comes back and then like he was going to retire and he his whole deal is mostly like, listen, you can't actually affect change within this system. It's kind of busted. Um, he gets he meets a young black lieutenant or detective earlier in the book, a guy named Jet, who ends up going undercover. And his whole deal is he's like he's going to be the first uh, like he's going to be the first black detective. He's going to be the first black detective who goes undercover. He's going to be the first blah, 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 blah. And the book is like. Yeah, he keeps doing this in different departments because he's actually like not really accomplishing anything because the system can't accommodate it. Uh, he's too eager to like be, uh, I don't know, like be like some big splashy version of change. Mm -hmm. And he keeps tripping over himself. Like he literally gets, you know, totally messes up during the shooting that sets off the whole book. Um, and so Potts is this guy who keeps like coming around the causes and he does help them along the way and does strike up this like subplot of mutual attraction with one of the sisters in the church. Um, and they're both kind of like confused by it, but they like to verbally spar with each other. And it just is, it does not really touch on any as any harm that he has really caused these people um, who live here, he mostly hears like, well, why didn't you, you should call us when this stuff happens. And they're like, why would we call you? All you're going to come down and do is create paperwork. That's going to ruin our lives. Um, and so McBride is not, not talking about it, but he's not laying the systemic problems at the feet of even the cop characters in the book. Um, mm which some people, you know, may or may not find satisfying. So we can, if we want to close, we can return to the, this is our other, the first recurring segment we did was, uh, burns our butt. Yeah, sure. We talked about everything that burns our butt. This one is three star Goodreads review. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those, that's a good, um, we should get some theme music for that or something. No, that's, I did, I did it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that was it. I thought that was just the demo. Three star Goodreads reviews. Uh, so this is candy from Goodreads, um, who says, I'm not a very good person with small talk and chit chat. And that was basically what the majority of the book was centered around. It had a lot of characters who just like to talk a lot about their day. I love my grandmother to pieces, but it felt like one of my weekly two hour phone calls with her, which there's a lot to break down in there, including <laughs> weekly two, two hour phone calls with your grandmother. I think we need a whole episode on Candy and her and their relationship with their grandmother, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of the sort of lukewarm reviews of this that I found were we're more about McBride's work writ large. I think like they wanted it to be um, more like narrative driven, I guess. Yeah. Less yeah. Just like about a bunch of like characters sort of doing things. Um, Kelly from Goodreads who begins her review by highlighting and then complaining about the Oprah recommendation, which makes me think maybe this review is not just about the book. Huh? <laughs> she wrote, that the Oprah recommendation, quote, uh, guarantees a nearly perfect rating from the masses and broadcasting my wrong reader status far and wide. Oh, no, that's not what this review is not about the book. <laughs> uh, 
But she she goes on to say serious messages are delivered with humor, sometimes to the point of being in the annoying slapstick variety as you meander through the interconnected tales of a possible missing treasure and missing Christmas club cash. Yeah, uh, this is my second go around with McBride. And at this point, I feel comfortable saying my lack of stars comes from a place of enjoying the tale, but not the telling. I just don't connect with his writing. This had a lot of potential and maybe it fell victim to the hype train for me. So and then Raymond, the last three star Goodreads yeah. review, Raymond says McBride has a way with words. He is very descriptive and vivid. The ending left me wanting more. There was some aspects that I wish were resolved more concretely. Oh, that. Okay. I'm going to call bogus on that. Can I call bogus? You can, you can tell Raymond that he can get out of here. Hey, Raymond, that's bogus. That's my segment. That's mm-hmm. bogus. Um, mm-hmm. most, mostly everything in this book wraps up and, uh, to the point of the, the bow being very tight and that is on purpose. I honestly think I would be surprised if people, I'm surprised that more of the reviews don't actually complain about that. It's something that I, I found worked. But as I said at the top of the show, it's pretty contrived on purpose. Um, the the notes about it being meandery and being like a lot of the scenes have people just chit-chatting. That is certainly true. There are a lot of scenes, as I said before, where like the the problem of the scene, the narrative like nut that has to happen um is very clear from page one or two of a chapter and you get these characters who just like like to you know give the other person a hard time and be really indirect and play with them or it's someone like sport coat who is like really sauced and like can't really think straight and hold on to the thread of the conversation and most of the time mcbride is playing that for laughs or playing it for you know cutting a character down the the one of the longer chapters early on is the first one between the irish governor and the elephant and that is mostly the governor not make saying anything that makes sense and the elephant being like i will beat you up or throw you out of here if you don't tell me what's going on and like mcbride i think just gets away with dragging it out as long as he does um but that is something that he is interested in is ways that people like are and aren't direct with each other on purpose. And he might, he might've just kind of dipped a little deeper than some people might like on some bits. Sure. Um, I think the, the Looney tunes, I'm going to use that one again, like the kind of slapstick humor for me helps the violence do multiple things within the book because he wants someone like Earl to be able to get electrocuted and you be like, whoa, that's kind of nutty. And then Mm -hmm. he also wants someone to pull a gun very quickly and shoot a character and you not see it coming and have it be shocking. And he gets away with both. Um, And some of it is like, if he doesn't describe it in vivid detail, it's often much more like arresting and like, oh, wow, did that just happen? Because if he really wants to live in it, then he wants to give it tone and shape it um, and show you how silly it all is. So, yeah, okay. it's, I, I could I could see people not copping to the style. I kind of dig the run on sentence that ends with a bang um, kind of thing. 
Um, and he does just have like a way of, of one liners. Like Deacon does finally figure out in his heart of hearts, why he shot deems. Uh, and it's a pretty moving moment and it ends with a line that's like better to remember you that way than as the sewer you have become. And it's just like, dang, if a man who was my surrogate grandpa told me that I was a sewer, I would just not want to exist anymore. (laughs) So that's pretty, that's what the book is up to. I think people should check it out. Or, you know, at least if, if one of McBride's other books sounds more interesting to them, um, they should go give it a shot because it's a it is a very distinct voice um, for the stuff that he is writing about, and that's it. Andrew, cool. do you have a, a a fun nickname that you want to give me, like you know, hot sausage or sport coat or hmm. 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 like I'm stuck on the fact that you're a dad now, so like all my nicknames for you have to do with like the fact that you're a papa or a daddy and that doesn't okay seem... so all right all right now i'm interested you mm. you 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 had mm. me at daddy <laughs> <laughs> you know like you know you're a proud papa uh-huh. but sometimes you're a punchy papa and mm, sometimes you're like a dress-up dad you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and sometimes you're like I just wanted to say silly, but silly doesn't start with the same letter as dad. It's not the same, but it doesn't have to be alliteration. It doesn't. I mean, okay. So I, I didn't have an answer when you started the sentence, but now I have one. Okay. Hit me. Try this. Try this one on for size. Bye bye beardy. No. <laughs> Cause you're a beard. Yeah. Cause you're a beard. That'd be a or, I, or 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 how about this, Larry Beers? Oh, that's good. <laughs> and then people will be like, Larry Beer, what? And and we'll be like, oh, it's like Larry Bird, the basketball player from the nineties. Oh, if you were if you were more forget for more forgettable than you are, because you're not very forgettable. Um, if you were oh, more you. forgettable, I'd call you and who. If someone was huh. like, did you see Andrew? Like and who? Huh. But boy, that makes me feel bad just thinking about somebody <laughs> using that burn on me. So that's hmm. <laughs> that's why I would never call you that. <laughs> uh don't send us your ideas for terrible cutting nicknames I for each other. I kind of want everybody to I want to s- start like a mail and like send a postcard with your <laughs> Like a stick stickly. Oh, sure. Postcard. That'd be fun. <laughs> with your preferred, or just Twitter or whatever, with your preferred nicknames for us. I want to hear what you can come up with. Okay. Send in your nicknames to overduepod at gmail.com. Kind, kind answers only. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can call Craig Bye Bye Beardy because we've been friends for 16 years, but you, you need to earn it. Yes. First. You can't call my friend Andrew and who without my permission. Um, overduepod at gmail.com is the email address. Uh, also, twitter.com or facebook.com slash overduepod. Thanks to fo- folks reaching out to us in the past week, including Bree, Bry, Lexi, Eddie, Charlotte, Flisquick, Emma, Snow White, Noche, Chris, Natalie, Gabriel, Tom, and Andrea, who sent us a nice email again to overduepod at gmail.com. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? 
They should go to OverduePodcast.com. That's our internet website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed, and pretty much anywhere else. Uh, you can, Well, we don't have links anywhere else. You can find us on Spotify. You can <laughs> find us on Stitcher. You can find us anywhere you want us to be, really. Um, we also have a new listener page. We've got a lot of emails and tweets uh, since the the Corona times began, just say, thanking us for the chill show that we're putting out and just and just having fun with it so if you are new to the show um since the unpleasantness then you can go to our new listener page you can find episodes that we are particularly happy with and just thanks to everybody who is who has sent us email and who has tweeted at us like both recommending us to other people and just thanking us for giving them an hour of of fun every week like that is that is what we are trying to do for you. That is definitely what we are doing for our, ourselves. Yeah. And yeah, it just, it, it makes me feel good to get a uh, big long emails about how people are enjoying the things that we're doing. So also send us mean nicknames. I guess. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's all, it's all in good fun. Uh, we will make sure we get an August schedule up in the coming days, but you can look, check out the feed on Friday to get our first combo episode of Genie Babies, a long-form podcast about Thousand and One Nights. Um, we're several nights in at this point, if you have and not heard those great. through our Patreon project. so mm-hmm. And uh, next week, I'm going to be reading uh, Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. It's the first uh, book in the Legacy of Orisha series. Um, I'm going to be double checking all my pronunciation yeah. in the week to come. Okay, cool. But uh, but yeah, it's it's a like a a fantasy novel focused on like black and brown characters, which is an interesting combination because typically, you know, you might not know this, but a lot of fantasy work is centered on white and assumed to be white characters. That's a lot of what gets published. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's read some other stuff. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm really enjoying it so far. Cool. So, Thanks for letting me tell you time. about this book, Andrew. And I look forward to you telling me about that one next time. Of course, books, books every every week, books. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to us talk about books. And until we do it again next week, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.